0: Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the business examiner podcast. My name is John McDonald. This episode features a special guest from the Victoria Chamber of Commerce. Our conversation covers their high-profile advocacy successes, how they've grown the organization's profile during the pandemic, and a number of the innovative programs launched over the past year. Our conversation starts
1: now. I'm Bruce Williams. I'm the CEO of the Greater Victoria Chamber of Commerce and like all boards of trade or chambers of commerce across the country, we advocate and represent business. In conversations with government, we create networking and business to business opportunities for our members with each other. We help them connect with who they need to connect with. We provide discounts to our members that are offered up to them as chamber members, and we also have a program that enables businesses, especially small ones, to access health benefits for their employees because of the Chamber Benefit Network across Canada. So that's a real retaining and attracting factor for a lot of employers to be able to offer health benefits to their employees.
0: Awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, Bruce. It's really great to have you on. Um, One of the things I wanted to jump into as we start here is the the topic of advocacy. Um, Within the past couple of months, there was a a big announcement about the marine border reopening. And I know that the Victoria Chamber played a major role in that just due to variety of factors among your membership and the impact of the sector on your local economy. But I'm wondering if you can kind of walk me through the process of how you how you started down that path of advocacy of advocacy and the kind of like the steps that led you toward that that change in policy from the government
1: yeah so when the border reopening was announced uh everybody kind of assumed that the marine border wouldn't be a factor when we were suddenly all told oh no no the marine border is not open the united states considers the marine border to be part of the land border because you are either getting to land or stepping off land to get on a boat so along with uh, Destination Greater Victoria, the tourism marketing organization for here, and the two major ferry operators, which are Clipper Vacations and Black Ball Ferry, who operate the Coho, we sort of put our heads together and said, what's going on here? Like, how how do we deal with this? How do we manage this? So we all together sort of waded through the process and came to the realization that the uh, Department of, uh, the sorry, the Ministry of National Public Safety had closed the Belleville terminal downtown as a point of entry as a COVID measure that was in March or April of 2020 and had then not reopened it as a point of entry, meaning that the Marine border was still closed. So the only place in Canada, really, where people arrive by ferry is Victoria. There's the Clipper and the Coho, and then there's the ferry between Sydney and Anacortes. So we all started to make phone calls and figure out what was going on. Uh, We did some outreach directly to the prime minister's office through coordinates and contacts we have there. And, uh, we all kind of came to the realization that they weren't necessarily aware of, of what had to happen for that part of the border to reopen. Uh, it's a case of you don't know what you don't know. That's not a fault on them, but we helped them engage in that conversation. And it got to the point that the at the time, the public safety minister, uh, Bill Blair, would have to have signed a directive to reopen the Belleville Terminal as a point of entry into Canada. So that did happen. And it happened on a Friday afternoon, and they called the election on Sunday. So part of the part of the minutiae around that is that when an election is called, theoretically, a minister is no longer a minister. And it would have been much more difficult to maneuver that through the whole process. So, uh, as I said, working together with those two carriers and with Destination Greater Victoria and the City of Victoria and the Downtown Victoria Business Association collectively, we we got that done and we all we all did what we had to do. Wow,
0: that's so cool. Amazing timing uh, and just a great story of collaboration there. Is there anything else that sticks out to you on the advocacy side that you're kind of proud of in your tenure so far there?
1: We've been a voice representing uh, a business in things like the um, the province created uh, a small medium enterprise business grant program that people could access. When they rolled it out, it was incredibly complicated. Uh, the, the conditions that had to be met, uh, the proof of loss, it wasn't inclusive of some businesses and we sort of advocated the government to say, thank you for creating that fund. We very much appreciate it, but you really need to dumb this down because there are people that were spending hours and hours and hours and hours trying to complete it and eventually just gave up and walked away from the money. So eventually the province realized that the money was not being accessed. It was sitting dormant for the most part. So with our chamber and others, conversations were had and they realized that they needed to streamline it, which they did, and made it much more accessible to many people. So businesses benefit from that.
0: I want to ask you as well, current advocacy efforts that the chamber is currently working on. I sawed through kind of what you have on the site, but is there anything that's kind of prominent right now?
1: Um, well, we're working on reopening. We are trying to make it easier for workforce to be sourced. So a couple of elements that have been out of our control, major sources of workforce have been students that would come to town and work part time. And the other major source has always pre-pandemic, during and post-pandemic has been immigration and immigration has been halted in this country. So we're anticipating that to happen very soon. So a bit of a complication on that that we're working on right now. So immigration is a federal matter, right? It's the government of Canada through the Department of Immigration that brings people to this country. Most of them have post-secondary when they arrive because that's what they're doing is they're coming here to work and bring their skills forward. The problem though, is that the recognition of their credentials is done on a provincial level by associations that that, um, are comprised of engineers or medical practitioners or whatever it might be. So the disconnect is that they arrive here without their credentials being recognized. And that's when the proverbial story about a, a radiologist driving a cab because they can't get their credentials recognized, we need to streamline that. We're going to be working very closely with the province and the feds to talk to them about maybe making that conversation a bit more Complete, So that when these people arrive in this country with those skills, they will have had their credentials recognized before they got here. And that's a conversation that has to happen between the province and the federal government. And we are strongly advocating that that take place as soon as possible, that those folks can arrive and get to work right away. Well,
0: that's great. And for your members or for businesses who are listening and they are, maybe they have something that they want to speak to government about, but they're not 100% sure about how to do that. Can you elaborate on kind of the best practices for approaching or getting involved in a chamber or board of trade organization so that they can kind of feel that their voice is heard?
1: Yeah, by joining a chamber or a board of trade, that's exactly what would happen. You would have a voice in what we're doing. You know, the, the breadth of membership that we have, we're close to 1,400 members, and it covers every corner of this region and every sector of the economy. So by recognizing what those sectors might be, whether it's tourism, engineering, hospitality, healthcare, construction, development, those collective voices within the chamber or the board of trade can represent the the. Uh, advocacy that needs to happen for government to listen so it's kind of a two-way street right government are again always making informed decisions and we are a part of the information highway to get them up to speed on what would be in the best interest of all of us we need government to not be in the way is the bottom line of this and the as 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 long as they can listen to what we and others say then they will be making those informed decisions i
0: want to jump into a little bit of your time at the chamber you know, since you've joined, I think, it I don't know if I've been paying more attention because you joined or if more attention has been drawn on it because you joined, but I'm wondering if you've, if there's steps that you've taken to kind of build the profile of the chamber. I noticed some of the, the integration with the Esquimalt base, um, we talked last year about that, but can you walk me through your kind of your approach as you, as you took on this role?
1: All of my predecessors at the Chamber were very engaged with the community in general. Uh, I guess, if anything, we have, uh, in my time here, have increased our social media presence. Uh, we've ramped it up with targeted and dedicated campaigns. We do one, There are Chamber masks that we give to people, and right on it, there's a hashtag that says, hashtag, Chamber Local Vic BC. So that's a campaign that we've done where we have small businesses, especially, complete the phrase, we are local because. So people want to shop local when they can. We, we popped this up in the shopping season last year before uh, Christmas to sort of get to people to understand that Amazon isn't your only option here. You know, you can find that stuff locally. Uh, one of the biggest selling things on Amazon, for example, is books. We have lots of local bookstores here. We have Boland, we have Monroe, we have Russell, we have other small niche bookstores in Oak Bay and other places. You can source that locally and get it delivered. So these businesses telling that story became an online campaign that's had huge traction. We also, when the vaccine started to roll out, did a campaign called Chamber Changemakers. That was a hashtag. And that was simply pictures of people. We had seen enough of people getting a needle stuck in their arm. Instead, we just showed pictures of people holding up their vaccine card saying, I did it. I'm a change maker. I'm a part of the solution. That has also had a huge amount of traction. Uh, we did another campaign when the restaurants and cafes were starting to reopen uh, called Picnics and Patios, where people would take a picture of themselves having a picnic or on a patio, having lunch, having dinner. So then along with the BCRFA, the BC Restaurant and Food Association, the Downtown Victoria Business Association, the City of Victoria, uh, we went out and uh, acquired funding so that we could go out and randomly pick up the tab for diners on especially on tuesdays wednesdays and thursdays so van city came forward to sponsor that so that one of us uh, paul nursey from tourism jeff brave from downtown uh, and others would would, we would take celebrities with us sometimes and just sort of show up at a group on a patio and say hey how's your lunch we're going to pick up the tab by the way for that and we would blast that out online and people would go oh wow well if i've got a chance of somebody picking up the tab Maybe I'll go out on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday. We did it live from uh, Spinnaker's Brew Pub, which is one of our chamber champions one night. We did it live on Czech TV with The Upside. So we just did stuff like that. So yeah, we've had an increased amount of exposure on social media. And I think to go back to your original point, I don't believe we're having any more media engagement with me than we did in the past. But I dropped into this position already being a fairly well-known figure. So I think I kind of stuck out from the crowd a little bit. Catherine, uh, Catherine Holt and Bruce Carter before me, of course, were very good at that same engagement. They established their, their uh, profile as they grew into the job. I already had the profile when I arrived. So I think that's more to your point that yeah, I think people are noticing because it's me.
0: Um, And was there, I guess, from your beginning to where you're at now, I think you're a year and a half ish in.
1: Yeah. June, 2020 is when I started.
0: Yeah. So was there a a kind of a, a challenge or a, an acclamation required when you got there, and can you kind of contrast that with kind of as you started to hit your stride and get a little bit more comfortable in the role? How that's happened now?
1: Uh, well, I showed up here to learn. Um, I mean, I, I, I had been on committees of the chamber in the past, but the, that's that's different than the day-to-day operation where you're managing staff and and overlooking uh, budgets and strategic planning and uh, coordinating committees and all that sort of stuff. So I I like to think I'm a quick learner. Uh, but I think after a year and a half, I'm still learning stuff every day. I have an amazing staff of 11 people here that that um, just do an amazing job and we support each other very much. Uh, so yeah, the change has been that I guess, uh, for lack of a better term, I've gained a bit more confidence, but that just comes from a better understanding of what, what the organization does. The most remarkable thing to me that I realized right away was the impact that this organization has, the presence that it has in the community. I mean, it's the chamber. It's always been kind of a big deal. And you would go to chamber luncheons and they would come... But I had no idea that the impact that we had on the business community, um, how government pays attention, how we can advocate for our members, help them out with, with connecting or with problems they might be having. Uh, the power of it is, is quite breathtaking. And uh, it's been quite a learning curve to understand how we can uh, take best advantage of that and to take best advantage of the equity that we have, that we can make good things happen. So that's been pretty cool.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I think to me that what uh, when I originally reached out about this, the advocacy side is something that chambers, different chambers take different kinds of approaches. And I think it's part of its different scale. The size of those chambers impacts their ability to do that. But that's what I have loved to see on the lower Mainland, We see like the Surrey Board of Trade has a huge organization. Yeah, has a tremendous advocacy component. Anyways, I just I love what you guys are doing.
1: Thank you. Yeah, Surrey Board of Trade, Vancouver Board of Trade, uh, Kelowna Chamber. Us are sort of the largest ones in the province, actually doing what we do, and uh, we coordinate with each other. We meet on a regular basis and uh, talk about what the priorities are for each region. You know, there's four other chambers in the South Island region: there's Esquimalt, Sandwich Peninsula, the West Shore, and Sooke, and those are chambers that deal with really intensely local things within their part of the region. But we're the overarching across all 13 municipalities and nine first nations is what our chamber represents. So our, our perspective is that sort of umbrella look at what goes on here and the others do a great job on what they do uh, in their own region too. Surrey has the advantage of one municipality. And uh, I guess a couple of other ones are involved, but they, yeah. And the Vancouver board of trade are, are doing amazing things. They're, they're also regional chambers in a way.
0: Anything coming up on the chamber front? I saw a call for nominations for the awards. I believe um, you know, the military, the the change of the CFB, uh, Esquimalt leader uh, added to your board. Um, anything else that's kind of coming up you want to highlight there?
1: Uh, yeah, we our business awards happen every year. That was something that we had to pivot the word of the year pivot, which had always been a gala event held somewhere where a couple hundred people would get together and you would celebrate the awards. And Well, we couldn't do that. So we decided that there had to be something uh, that was a video that we would push out as a complete produced, edited program. So because of my previous career, I was a television producer and I sort of had this light bulb go off saying, well, we're kind of, we're, we're putting together a TV show here. So I called one of our, our chamber champions at Czech television, spoke to them and said, Hey, are you looking for a TV show? And they went, uh, yeah, yeah, we are actually. So we presented them with this packaged TV show, gave them the opportunity to sell sponsorships within that show. Cause that's where their revenue comes from. We've done that twice now. The first year, the viewer reached 50,000 viewers. And the second year, that program reached 80,000 viewers. And that model has now moved over to Nanaimo. Their chamber is doing the same thing. And I think, think some others in the province are looking at doing the same. Um, you need an independent broadcaster like Check, though. If you get a network involved, it's a bit more complicated. But I believe some others are looking at doing that. The other initiative, the major one that we've undertaken, is the creation of the Greater Victoria Business Hall of Fame. So we previously, within our business awards, had something called the Lifetime Achievement Award. And that was given to someone who represented a lifetime and a body of work that was a successful story economically and on the community side and all the rest of it, which was amazing. But that only recognizes people who are currently involved in what's going on in the business community. We didn't have the ability to do much more than that. So replaced the Lifetime Achievement Award with something called the the Governor's Award of Distinction which is the criteria is someone who is currently involved in making business happen in innovation and transformation. But we still needed to recognize the people that built this economy that's around us. So a hall of fame is like a sports hall of fame. This chamber is 159 years old, could be anybody from that period of time. So we are first of all, inducting the first 15 lifetime achievement award winners plus five new ones. And every year we will induct five people into the hall of fame from any time in our chamber history. Uh, at the same time we are of the understanding that up until fairly recent history uh, the chamber wasn't necessarily the most inclusive organization uh, around on Canada day we made the acknowledgement that the chamber has been implicit in the suppression of indigenous economy and culture because as much as we celebrate everything that's around us we were implicit in the suppression of of first nations right and and went along with the plan to put them on reserve land, take away their land, take away their culture, their children, their language, their spirituality, all of that was taken away. So we had to recognize that as a truth before we start on the path of reconciliation. So the Hall of Fame announcement was actually delayed because of that. We were originally going to announce that on a Monday. And a few days before that is when the Kamloops gravesite announcement was made. So we realized, no, we're completely tone deaf to recognize what we've built at their expense. So we went back and thought about that. We, uh, we made that admission and that, that acknowledgement. We have now created uh, two committees. Uh, one, is, sorry, one is a task force, one's a committee. Uh, we have a task force for Indigenous Economic Reconciliation. Uh, Indigenous-owned businesses have now been given, if they want it, free membership into this chamber. And we're doing that for the purpose of connecting them with non-Indigenous-owned businesses for everyone's benefit to grow. And at the same time, with that acknowledgement, we know that systemic racism has been a huge part of building this economy. Chinese head tax, the Komagata Maru, constant ridicule of LGBTQ people, people with disabilities have not been fully embraced In every way that they possibly could. So we created something called a CADI committee, C-A-D-I, which is the Committee for the Advancement of Diversity and Inclusion. And that committee will work with people who are basically not Caucasian and have been a part of this culture for a long time. Asian, South Asian, uh, Indigenous is a part of that businesses owned by persons with disabilities, uh, people who are cross-gender or anywhere in the LGBTQ spectrum. So having done those two things, we then announced the Business Hall of Fame, and we're very conscious of the fact that we need to be inclusive when we choose people in that Hall of Fame. So our first cohort of five that are going in are the late Chief Robert Sam, who did a great deal to advance education access for his nation, uh, a gentleman named Ron Lou Poi, who was a a huge feature in the Chinese business community here around Chinatown, other areas. He was a chancellor at uh, UVic, very well-spoken, very philanthropic uh, gentleman. A guy named Ian Maxwell, who is the owner of a company called the Realmax Group, who own Point Hope Shipyard and Ellis Recycling and some engineering companies. And they bought the Harbor Ferries last year. He's also a partner in a company called Trio. He's been a guy who has worked extensively with um, First Nation business to give them an opportunity to engage in the economy. Um, A woman named Helen Beerness, uh, who was the first chair of a chamber board in Canada, and that was in Victoria in the 70s. She's also a woman who very actively invited herself into the old boys club, which was a thing. They would literally be... At gathering points, and it was just a bunch of guys drinking brandy, smoking cigars, she broke through that barrier and entered herself into that circle. To present a female point of view, she owned a company that at the time, this was in the early 70s, was called a charm school for young women. Basically, a charm school was a way of saying, you know what, you need to stand up for yourself. You need to gain confidence, poise, understanding, knowledge. She made that happen and empowered a lot of young women. And she also ran for and won a seat on Victoria Council at one time. So she's going in. And the last one is a guy named Claire Copeland, who was a guy who worked for a national advertising agency. And in his travels across the country, he saw a lot of potential in a failing radio station called CFAX. It was only a dawn to dusk station. It was losing money. It was in danger of going under. He bought it and he transformed it. He turned it around and made it into one of the great news talk stations in Canada. And he eventually sold that off to a guy named Mel Cooper who was the guy that owned the station when it was then purchased by uh, CTV at one time. Claire also went on to start a number of car dealerships and restaurant franchises and was a longtime supporter of this chamber and others. So those five people kind of represent the the history of the chamber and how we can find people like that and bring them in and, and induct them into the Hall of Fame. But we had a, a funny process where there was about 55 or 60 names All of our past board chairs are part of the governor's group. So we pulled the governors, and and they're of various ages. People from your past, who do you think could be a candidate to go into the Hall of Fame? We had this long list. We brought them together, and we went down the list, and they would say, no, you can't put him in. He beat his wife. No, you can't put that guy in because he stole money. So we went through, and there was a character assessment of some people. So a very frank look at what that was. So that's the sort of consciousness that we're bringing into this, this Hall of Fame. So that rolls out in February. We also undertook something that we're calling the chamber champions. So as things were very uncertain and unclear for a lot of chamber members, they weren't sure whether they were going to make it or not. So two principal sources of revenue for chambers of commerce and boards of trade are membership dues and proceeds from events. That's what gives us our ability to do what we do. Dues were at risk for a lot of operators and there were no events. So I came up with something that is... uh, A separate higher echelon of membership, the maximum amount that a company of 300 or more employees would pay with this chamber is about $3,600 a year. So for us to continue to support smaller businesses who are at risk, um, we put them on hiatus. Because if we hadn't done that, they would lose the impact of their chamber membership, and many, many of them would have lost the health benefits that they have for their employees. We didn't want to see that happen. So we went to a group that we're now calling the chamber champions who stepped in at a higher echelon of membership fee payment, and they have enabled us to put those people on hiatus and eventually bring them back. It also meant that we could maintain the stability of the chamber's operation to continue to do what we have to do, because this chamber and all other chambers and boards of trade, quite honestly, have never been more important than they are right now in the advocacy that we do. So our chamber champion roster right now includes TELUS. RBC, CIBC, MNP, uh, C-SPAN, UVic, Czech Television, Spinnaker's, Big Wheel Burger, NAPIT Projects, Kinetic Construction, Mike Garrett Construction, Park Retirement, and Scotiabank. So those are the folks that have come up to keep the chamber alive and well, and we thank them every day for doing that.
0: Awesome. That is tremendous. I really appreciate you sharing that. I wanted briefly ask you a little bit about your background you mentioned kind of the 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 ctv uh production stuff um i went through what was there on linkedin but can you kind of just walk me through the steps that led you to to your role at the chamber now
1: sure uh well i was a broadcaster for a long time as you know i started a long time ago in radio transitioned into television became a producer and became a manager worked for a company called chum uh based in ontario chum got the license to put what at the time was called the new vi on the air in uh, 20 years ago, actually in 2001, so I was brought out here to be in the management group and be a producer and a program host. So I managed the Mid islands for a period of time, and then eventually came back down here, became the TV weather guy, and uh, was a manager of community and client relations. So all of that was moving along. I got involved in a lot of community stuff, which I always have. There, there came a point which to me was not unexpected. It was only inconvenience that I got restructured out of the Bell Media world and. Um, was then sort of looking around for other, I wasn't ready to retire, looking for other opportunities. One of the volunteer things that I had done was actually through a chamber of this committee. We had a committee called the Greater Victoria Development Agency, which was the economic development agency for this region, for the capital region. And like many other things, it then became an organization that stands on its own. So it left the chamber and became what is now the South Island Prosperity Partnership. Um, Other organizations that came out of this chamber include the Victoria Film Commission, Viatech, Destination Greater Victoria or Tourism Victoria. So South Island Prosperity Partnership, I was on the initial board that created that organization and wrote the bylaws and the governance and the membership model and all that stuff. So they had gotten underway, but they needed some help and some support to grow the organization and its impact. So they asked if I would come back and work with them on a contract to be the, the title I had was a director of development. So helped grow the organization, spread the word. Beat the bushes, talk to people, appear, do speeches, that kind of stuff, help them raise money. Uh, while I was doing that, the CEO, a woman named Emily Rosenroll, who was incredibly talented, um, went on a maternity leave. And I was asked to sit in on an interim basis as the CEO of that organization for a year. And as that was winding down during COVID, Emily came back. Catherine Holt had announced that she was going to be leaving this chamber as CEO. So a countrywide search was put in place. I eventually ended up being one of the names in the mix for that and got offered a contract and took it. <laughs> so that's kind of how it got to this point. But the interesting thing through the process was anybody who's been through a restructuring or a downsizing, there's a point where you kind of say, what am I going to do next? What can I do? What, what am I capable of doing? And one of the things that, that I recommend to people is take a look at the breadth of everything you've done whether it's a hobby, whether it's nonprofit, whether it's directly related to any sort of business or not, those are all skills that you have, right? You develop those skills and they, they make you a complete employee. So when I at first thought that I wasn't really cut out for this job at the chamber, others disagreed, including the hiring committee. And and they have since proven to me that I do have what it takes to do this job. And actually, I'm having a really good time doing it too.
0: Yeah. Well, I I appreciate you sharing that. I do think that you've done a great job, uh, so far and, uh, yeah, so far. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, there's, I'm not a future predictor, but I do, I think it's just phenomenal. I want to ask, is there a particularly impactful person that's kind of influenced your career? I know you've, you've touched a lot of different people, uh, within the province, I'm sure, but is there someone that sticks out to you who's had a, a, a profound
1: effect? Not as much that as people who I have looked at and said, well, I don't want to be that person. I, I'm not going to do that because I, I worked in a world that was full in media full of egos and uh, odd priorities. Um, so I realized very early on that, there, that, it's, uh, that the people that I didn't want to emulate meant more to me than the people I did. So I think anything that I have that might be positive is a compilation of a lot of remarkable people that I worked with over a long period of time. Uh, but there are people who I saw that were just really bad managers, bad people, people. And they, and I made a point of never wanting to do that. It would go against the grain of my character to do that anyway. But I, I learned from other people's, what I perceived as other people's mistakes to land where I am at. Not that I have, I'm fault-free, not at all, but I, I do my best to be the best I can be.
0: How has your approach to leadership changed over the years? You're, you've been in leadership when you were in television, and now you're, you're leading this, this large organization. How has that changed, or what have you noticed, maybe?
1: It's evolved. I've, I've done other leadership things like uh, uh, chair boards, uh, run fundraising campaigns, capital campaigns. Um, I was the fundraising chair, along with my good friend, Mel Cooper, that built Janice Place, for example. Uh, I was the board chair at the Vancouver Island University Foundation for a period of years. I was the campaign chair for the United Way for three years in Greater Victoria. But each one of those things sort of outside of a work experience gives you perspective on how other things move within the economy. So I've grown into each one of those roles and uh, you know the work with South Island Prosperity and certainly the work at the Chamber, I have constantly learned. And I I understand perspective is everything, right? And you have to understand that when you're making decisions on this level, it can impact a lot of people and you really need to get it right. And you need to do your best. And um, again, that also goes back to learning from other people's mistakes. So when you see things happen in other organizations or other businesses, you try and learn from that. I've always tried very hard uh, to be a good listener and take lessons from uh, successes and failures of other people. I've had my share of both. (laughs) So you'll learn from that.
0: Yeah. No, no, that's great. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I've got four quick ones here. To, to before we get you out of here is there a favorite uh book or podcast that you that you have and that you're currently listening to
1: not a big podcast guy but i do one every week it's called chamber chats i love that i don't read as much as i should you know i'm one of those guys that's kind of oh my god i've been reading at work all day um if i want to relax with a book and get lost in it it's nothing deep i will read a john grisham novel Cause that is a bit of an escape for me. I just, I, to watch the, how that kind of, they're all kind of the same, but they're different in their own way. So that's, a, that's an escape for me. Um, all time favorite book is probably To Kill a Mockingbird, I would think from long ago. Uh, best personal advice that you've received? Do the right thing. My parents were a big influence on my life. They were, they were very nice people. They worked very hard. My family owned a business, a small business, I might add. Uh, we owned a bakery. So I learned the value of hard work and that when you're the owner, the buck stops with you. If it's going to get done, it eventually might end up being you doing it. So I came to know that. My mother was a nurse and uh, made me understand the value of compassion and taking care of yourself. And um, yeah, when you're, when you're pondering what to do, I, I always default to do the right thing. And that makes decisions a lot easier.
0: App or piece of software you can't live without?
1: Uh, I'm a Twitter guy. I don't do a whole lot with the others. I dabble a little, I'll look at Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram once in a while, usually just to boost something that the chamber has posted quite honestly. But Twitter is the one I use. It's, it's a principal news source for me. And uh, there's some funny stuff on there too. So I like it.
0: That's great. And the very last one I've got for you, favorite restaurant in Victoria.
1: There's so many, I I can't narrow it down to one. That's, that's all Bad answer, I know, but I really can't. Uh, uh, We dine out when we can, when it's convenient and affordable. And uh, there's such a gamut of restaurants here. Uh, Anything you're looking for, you can find. And um, we've tried to uh, visit as many as we possibly can. And we have favorites to go back to quite a bit. But I wouldn't want to name one over the other. I think they're all pretty amazing. They're hardworking folks. They, you know, they're not working on huge margins here. They're doing it out of the love of what they do and to take care of their employees they're all challenged right now with finding staff to operate at maximum capacity. So, uh, great respect for all the folks in the, in the food and beverage industry.
0: Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at with the subject line podcast.